Welcome to the big truths of small business. Joe, we got the truth. We got the truth. We got the big truths of small business live here. We got the truths. We got the truths. We got the truths. We got the big truths. Sponsored by Yes, I rent. Yes, I rent. Yes, I rent property management. Replace good tents and collect your rent. Maintain your properties and account for it. Yeah, we do. Truths. We got truths. We got the big truths. We got the big truths of small business sponsored by Yes, I rent. Yeah. Wow. Nice. What a rendition. That nice. was good stuff, wasn't it, Tim? It was. Well, Today, we are uh, coming to you at the Big Truths of Small Business with Tim Morris, a value cycle. Welcome, Tim. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Joe. Travis. And I don't want to dismiss uh, <laughs> who has definitely been deemed by the audience as my sidekick, Joe Watkins, my, that, my de- business partner. Definitely not. I'm the Pre- counterpuncher. Pre- appreciate oh. that, Joe. Appreciate that, Joe. <laughs> uh, value Cycle, which is located in Conyers, Georgia. Correct. By the way, which has been in business at this point for 21 years. 21 years. Wow. Tim, are you that old? 21 years yeah. in business. Which I am a customer of. You are a customer. Actually, he has two uh, Harley tires sitting for me right now at the shop waiting to put on my Harley. Well, what's the ETA on the tires? You think, They're here. Tim? They're, They're here, here. Waiting here. on Joe. They're here. I just got to get it scheduled and get it over there. I've, I've he's scheduled for Saturday. He just forgot. <laughs> Feel like there I can get it there. I feel like there needs to be a deposit of some type. Have you taken any money at this point? Oh, he took money. Paid in, <laughs> paid in full. <laughs> Pre, prepay. Joe, Joe prepays. That's part of the show. This guy, yeah. I mean, he. hey, you want to work with me? I'm busy. I mean, we're, we're good and <laughs> we, I'm busy. We, we do. <laughs> this is part of the idea. So value cycle. When I think of value cycle, I think of when my motorcycle, for the most part, is broke, needs, needs work. Then I'm going to bring it to Tim at Value mm-hmm. Cycle, right? I'm going to drop it off. Hey, Tim, you fix it. And that's the meat of, uh, of Tim's business here. 21 years in business. But the reason Tim's here today is so Joe took – what was the other repair? When did I meet Tim? I took um, – what did I take? Was I, it, it was, was, did I take was, my Kawasaki over there? No, I took my BMW, BMW. over there for, for tires. Yeah. That's what it was. I dropped the BMW off for tires. You were with me that day. I was with him that day. Either when I picked it up or when I dropped it off. Yep. Have yeah, a BMW yeah. sport touring so, bike. And, so yeah. you, mm-hmm. you, you take a phone call and you're outside mm-hmm. for 45 minutes. I start quizzing Tim because I'm looking around going, oh, what's going on? Wait, wait, wait a minute here. I'm looking at this setup. Uh, we, you know, we got this podcast. We talk about small business guys and I'm just quizzing Tim about stuff. And I kind of start figuring out Tim's a different dude. Like, <laughs> like this is not your average to me. This is not your average place. Now, again, I'm not, a, I'm not a motorcycle guy, but I thought this place is a little bit different. So anyway, Tim's story was really cool, and it matched. Uh, you may not know that we hadn't talked about this part of it, but it matched my story mm-hmm. to a degree. Uh, okay. to, to a degree. There was a lot of similarities, so I identified a lot with kind of your philosophy that you were talking to me about that day. Okay. And so as Joe, we were talking about guests. Man, we got to have Tim on. So here we are. Uh, we, we got Tim on. Um, in terms of... Setting the stage here, Joe. Yeah, I think you need to give a little background, Tim, so they know, know what he's about. So, so this is part of the, the, the deal where I thought, this mm-hmm. dude's a little different 
Very it's different. It's sitting my average. Well, he's got a Creature Comforts uh, brewing company shirt on. That makes him different already. He right. has realized what real beer is. Is that real beer? IPA beer. IPA beer. Yeah. You know, there's some memes out there about guys. Uh, that in like fact, IPA. It, it, you don't know it, but it's inside this cup. <laughs> Sponsored by Yes, I Rent. <laughs> <laughs> what Creature Comforts is? Athens, Georgia, baby. Well, we got Creatures Comforts, yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. Go dogs. All right, cool. That's right. Do we need a sponsor? Is there any version of a sponsor? Listen, um, I think there's a phone call in in order here with Creature Comforts. Let's get back to Tim. So one of the things I thought was interesting about Tim was Tim was not your average, forgive me, Tim, gearhead. I'll go there. (laughs) Now, now look, I use the term gearhead as a complete elitist that says that, Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, Tim. But part of your story was for 15 years – I was going to the doctor, and perhaps you were diagnosing me as a physician's assistant. Could have been. <laughs> could, could have been. 15 years as a physician's assistant. Hello, there's some education that yeah. required there. This is a little isn't, bit. Yeah. So this was part of like, no, this dude's different. Start hearing his philosophy on business. This dude's different. So anyway, uh, we, we landed here, but uh, glad to have you. And uh, thank you. Let's talk a little bit about, um, and, and we talked about this before. I think we all know what a physician's assistant is, but as you're doing that job, I want to skip to the part of that job where you first started figuring out that maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm not going to do this forever. What, what was the part of that job? And, and was there any part of that job? Whoa, I'm going I'm I'm to pull, pull a Travis. God, wait, 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 does, wait, wait, wait a minute. He, he says he's going to pull a Travis. He literally does this every opening question. Wait a minute. This, this, this is Joe's deal. <laughs> let's back up real quick. Pull it yeah, back. Yeah, hey, let's Joe, do that. Let's back, back up. Let's back up for a second. I, I want to know a couple things because I think it's, it's valuable to know what you gave up when you when you move on. So how many years did it take to become a physician's assistant? How many years in school? Uh, it's a master's degree program. So six. Six years of college. Ooh. Six years. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, University. and did you come in right out, out of, did you go straight from high school to this six years of school or do you have any gaps in there? Let's go back even farther. Okay. Let's go, for, let's go further. I was born in East Point, Georgia. My dad was an airline pilot. Um, my dad was really big on education. So... He, in his opinion, the best school in South Atlanta, where we're from, was Georgia Military Academy. Mm. Now Woodward Academy. Oh, okay. It was a military school. Didn't realize that was Georgia Military back then. When I started kindergarten. Woodward, for those that don't know, is a super private, right near the Atlanta Hartsfield uh, Jackson Very Airport. prestigious. On the south school. side of town, it is the premier private school. The school. Is, yeah, and one of the only, well, certainly back then was the only. And dad being a pilot, we always lived near the airport. So here I was, a little uh, six-year-old, um, dressing up in a military uniform and marching around the parade field two hours a day and getting a great education. Not, not I bet you were. That. Um, but found out pretty quickly that uh, I had a little problem with authority. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, for some people, uh, that experience uh, is more, rather than an indoctrination, it acts more like a vaccination. Hmm. So a little bit of my experience with a very authoritarian system made me realize that I, I like to do things my way. I was telling you that one of my first words out of my, my mouth, according to my mom, was, I'll do it. 
<laughs> I, I just wanted to do it my way. Yeah. So then uh, move ahead. Uh, I struggled through, I mean, I did well in school, but I, I always had that, that problem with authority. In the middle of 10th grade, I asked my parents if I could change schools. By then, I was educated. You know, they say everything, everything you need to know, you've learned by fourth grade. Hmm. And I wanted to go to the, the local public school because I had friends that were telling me about wood shop and industrial arts mm. and uh, all these other programs, uh, car repair that Woodward didn't offer. It was you know strictly a um, preparatory type school. Academic field, yeah. Yeah. So um, transferred to Briarwood and took uh industrial arts and woodworking and you got all exposed to a different a different yeah. yeah different world working with my hand mm. doing it myself God, doesn't it suck that that doesn't exist anymore that's it, gone it's shrinking gone. oh it's shrinking yeah. and and there's some you know henry county's tried to bring it back with a separate school but then you've got to you know bus people and different uh, you know it's a hard it, way to back, do it back when we were in school it was just one of the things you could take it was an option mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so so i'm hearing that um there was a plan that they had in mind. Your parents had in mind. It's probably a pretty normal plan they had in mind, but you kind of, you were already feeling a <laughs> different thing here. I was, I was. <laughs> um, but of course, graduated and then uh, started in college, just taking the, the core curriculum stuff. Uh, my older brother was a, uh, is a physician's assistant, a PA anesthetist, uh, went mm. to Emory. Mm. And he got me my first real job now I'm about 20, we'll say, um, taking classes during the day. He got me a job at Scottish Rite Hospital as an operating room orderly, nursing assistant, they call him. And I worked there for four years in the operating room at the very lowest levels while, while going to school. Um, so I sort of I developed a, an, a background in, or familiarity with medicine there. Um, was there any frustration yet at that early age? Uh, not, you mean in the work environment? Well, or? you're very structured. You're going to do absolutely what you have to do in that environment. You're not thinking out of the box in that environment, right? Right. Um, but no, not a frustration because I'm 20 years old. I'm doing my thing. Figuring take, it out. Yeah, I'm taking yeah. classes in the, in the morning or in the evening working. Uh, so... And after four years, I've, now I've finished my undergraduate stuff, and now I sort of have to figure out what I'm going to do. Well, now I've been working in the medical field for four years, and my brother suggests, well, why don't you go to PA school? It's a great, great, it was great a na- career. It was, a, it was a natural move you know, at that point. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just I said, okay, applied to Emory, to the PA program, got accepted. Uh, <laughs> Uh, completed that program. Yeah, you know, I did too, by the way, Joe. I just declined the offer from Emory. Just hey, go ahead. I'm sorry, Tim. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we missed you. That first day when they called your name and you was, weren't there? It's just too easy. Yeah, yeah, so, go yeah. ahead, so uh, of course, then uh, graduated and started working in medicine. And it's a great career. Um, and I do keep my certification uh, intact. But it was a graduate. I mean, you say graduated. You were in school oh, yeah. for a long time. I mean, well, it's a two-year two-year pro. It's a master's degree program right. after four years of college. It's, yep. it's a yep. two-year program. Um, MD school is four-year program after college. So, and you know, as if you don't know, PAs are uh, work under the indirect supervision of physicians. Right. 
basically performing the, the same type of work, but you do have a supervising physician. Right. So what was your primary, as a PA, what was the primary things you would do? Was it, what was the practice you were in? Uh, always primary care, family care. Okay. Um, so you're a typical you know, family did, care doctor. Yeah. You're the guy, one of the guys that there and you're, uh, and you're seeing about all kinds of stuff. Yeah. General practice. Right. Sore throats, <clears throat> twisted ankles, you know, high blood pressure. Moxicillin. Like yeah. Beat on the knee a little bit. <laughs> make sure it flops. You know I mean? I mean, I'm just, we're just trying to paint the picture here. Yeah. Yeah. Amoxicillin. <laughs> Not trying to cure the world, just taking care of my patients, you know, doing well. Um, Where is this at? Is it Atlanta? Here's yeah, there. always around Atlanta. Right, right around here. Uh-huh. Okay. So, but I need to go back to my youth. The one thing I always wanted was a motorcycle when I was a little kid. Mm. And my dad. Man, I know that the, the great man that he was, was, was scared of motorcycles and wouldn't let me have a motorcycle. He said, when you can afford your own motorcycle, you can buy a motorcycle. And the first thing I did when I graduated from Emory was I bought a motorcycle. Bought a motorcycle. And uh, what was your first motorcycle? A Honda was- 500 Interceptor. Okay. Ooh. 1984. Okay. Uh, and, you know, started riding it. It's a sport bike. So we'd go up in the North Georgia mountains and ride on the curvy roads and i seemed to have a knack for for leaving everybody else behind and somebody told me well you need to get on the racetrack and i, I didn't even know what they're talking about uh, they took me up for, up to road atlanta and uh i watched the race and i said i want to do that so basically i was a pa during the week and became a road racer on the weekend god that was awesome you, and you got your whole you got you got what you couldn't get out on your day job, you got that out on the weekends. Exactly. Uh, weekend war- warrior, so oh, to speak. Yeah. So that began my background in motorcycles. What, 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 time, what, what year is this? What year are we in? Well, my first race was in 1985. I graduated from Emory in 1985. My first race was in 1985. Uh, I raced for seven years and then uh, re- retired, I thought, uh, in 91 or so, 92, um, and then continued to work as a PA. Uh, you know, it, it's a great career, but it wasn't, it just really wasn't satisfying my need to do it myself, be my, be the boss, use my hands, that's that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, I'm gonna help paint this a little bit because I, mean, I can I can identify with some of this. Um, first of all, I want to say that if you are an exceptional motorcycle rider, for those that don't know this, you are typically of higher intelligence. <laughs> I'm not saying this because I'm an exceptional motorcycle rider. I'm saying this first because off, it's true, and I'll tell you why it's true. There's a lot that goes into the dynamics of making that motorcycle do what you want to do at high speeds with very little room for error. Am I right? Things happen very fast. And you can't let emotion get involved out there. You have to, you have to know what you're doing mm-hmm. and, and you have to make decisions quickly and firmly. And so I, I can see that a guy who's, who's working on people and, 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 
uh, you know, you're not you're you're not operating on someone. You're just, you don't have the thrill of the operation right. where something could happen really bad. You're doing normal general practitioner stuff. It didn't get you up in, in the morning, right? I was taking care of boo boos, but that motorcycle—all I wanted to do. I didn't. Want, I'd spent four years in the operating room as a, as I understand. a younger guy. I, I didn't want that. Yeah, but you did want a part of what that did, and you did it on the motorcycle track. That there you go. You, you had to get that adrenaline rush. And, and, and which also uses a lot of intelligence out there. That's all I'm saying, Travis. My belief is stop the show. My belief is you think that you're an elite. I'm right not now. Now <laughs> something. So, so here's what's interesting about that belief. As somebody who doesn't ride, right? Mm-hmm. I now now I ride. I just ride a <laughs> you know a, a, an FJ Cruiser. Okay, so <laughs> that I, would be a car, guys. Excuse no. me, Joe. Excuse me, Joe. Excuse Four me, wheels. Joe. Yeah. Excuse me, Tim. <laughs> Uh, what, what I would like to say is to me, part of being an expert rider would be not kind of laying that bike down and killing, you know, I mean, getting hurt. Yeah. Right. That, that's, have, I mean, you, I know, yeah. have you ever laid the sorry. bike down? Yes. Well, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Excuse me, Joe. Excuse I have me, to. So, so what I would say was part of the measure would be kind of a ratio of how many times do I lay the bike down? Cause I'm laying the bike down on a regular basis. Then maybe I'm not an elite genius. Right. right? Like Joe's trying to say. Right. Can you tell us about your recent uh, weekend, okay. Joe? Okay, so I, the last I, week I've been riding so? for a long time, and I did lay the bike down this week for the first time ever in a ditch. Wow. What, what happened? This was not this was not a pretty moment. Ever, ever, we ever. I've dropped the bike in the parking lot, but that's not pretty sure. That's laying the bike. That's down. not wrecking. There's no danger in getting hurt dropping the bike. You're in, not in the parking intentionally lot. dropping the bike in yeah, the parking. Yeah, lot. I understand. I was actually moving at a higher speed as in this in this in this. Where week. were you? What happened? I was in Jasper, Alabama, and uh, yeah, this is this is there's there's lessons in this actually for me for me, and I'll give it to the audience. Um, I'm on my BMW S1000 XR. It's a pretty fast bike, and I it's about seven o'clock, getting near dark. I'm meeting my wife who's coming in town to Jasper, Alabama. We were both meeting my son to play, to watch him play a golf tournament. We're coming from different places. I'm on the bike. She's coming in the car. I had a little time to burn. I, I, I go mess around downtown and I'm going, I didn't, okay, it's time to go meet her, but I, I want to clean the bike. I got another 30 minutes. So I go to a, 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 a car wash, clean the bike up, get it looking good, spray it down. Now it's a little dusky dark. I go on the main road, and I know where the hotel is, but can, I don't... Can, I don't, can we pause for I, a no, second? No, no, I'm not going to pause. I'd I, like to pause because what I would like to say is the genius would have realized the bike was wet. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> a little dew on the road, too, in the a little, evening. A little dew in the evening a and a wet bike. So, yeah. anyway, okay. all that being said, I the, the worst part wasn't that. The worst part was... I thought that it would be neat to take a little different route to the hotel and, 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 and backtrack on a, on a road that would come in the back of it. I thought I knew where that road was instead of staying on the, on the four lane at yeah. night. Yeah. Take a right turn. Clearly in about a minute, I'm going, where am I at? So I took a left turn to kind of maybe loop back around. Well, then I end up in these weird roads and in, in neighborhoods and rocky weird roads. And I'm, by the way, I still have on my mind that I'm going to ride a little quick to get the water off the bike. Okay. Because I wanted my bike to be dry without having to wipe the whole thing down. I think that's still in my mind. Genius. I'm I'm on my BMW where I think I probably, you know, have 
anyway, more confidence than I probably should at that moment. It's mm-hmm. wet. It probably has even soap residue. <laughs> it's dark. I'm did moving. You, did you armor all your tires? No, heck no. <laughs> okay. Why not? I'm fairly moving fairly quickly. I come around a curve or I come into a curve and I go, oh crap, I'm, I'm moving too fast. How many times have I heard that? I'm definitely moving too fast. Now, on that BMW, that typically is not an issue. I just move, lean it further over because it'll go. That's right. You know what the problem was? I look up and there's a stop sign right after the curve. There's okay. no accelerating. Uh, there's no accelerating out of the curve. I'm going to go through the stop sign and hit on the, hit on the other side of the bank. Uh-huh. So I go, oh, brake, stands me up, get in the, in the shoulder, and then I skid for like 35 feet. I f- low side. Bike goes, flips on the other side, facing back towards me. And it, of course, happens fast. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm, I freeze and I get up and I'm, I'm not hurt. Unscathed. I happen to hit a patch of mud and grass. Not a bruise. For 35 feet, I hit mud and grass. And my bike was in the ditch. And what's the first thing you do after you realize that you're not hurt or dead? I went straight to my bike. Exactly. <laughs> I went, exactly. What did I just do to my bike? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at it going, my bike. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a, a guy, I flag a guy down, he helps me get it out of the ditch, and and it's bent up a little bit. Nothing oh, major. No. Not, not bent. It's it's not bent. The handlebars were just shifted. Tweaked a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Things were... Busted a couple, not not bad at all. I mean, how, it was all mud. How, how fast would you say you were going? I'm I'm not going to put that on the record, but I was going too fast for the situation at hand. Going like, like fifty. And that miles was my first motorcycle wreck, and I learned a lot from that wreck. Over, I, I, over, I have said thank you God for letting me wreck and putting me in muddy grass. Over or below fifty miles an hour? I was probably going at that number. Because I mean, it was we, we, these were back roads at night. I mean, we you know I wasn't going seventy miles an hour. Maybe probably going forty-five, but forty-five. A very sharp curve, though. Very yeah, sharp low curve, speed curve on a, on, a, on a road I don't know in the dark. Actually, my little extra lights were aimed down because I didn't move them back up when I washed it, so I didn't have. I had less visibility. It was just a bad series of events. And this and, has nothing to do with the show, but this was this came at a time for me. So he called me pretty soon after. Pretty, pretty shook up, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. But I was teetering just after knowing Joe now for years. He had me, and this is just Joe. You'll, you'll get to know Joe. He had me right to that point where I'm thinking, man, maybe I should buy a bike. <laughs> man, I mean, Joe sounds like God, I did this, have him there. this bike thing. And I, I did have a little bike when I was a kid, you know. I, I, I did get to go down to some property and eh, rode the bike. It was the greatest time of my life. Maybe I need a bike. Then Joe calls me and I go, I definitely don't need a bike. Well, I'll definitely kill myself inside of two weeks. So, 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 Tim, what what is the number one safety issue with if I if I went to buy a bike today, what would you tell me? Hey, Travis, here's what you need to watch. Here's where guys lose it. Well, it's true. Well, the first thing you do is get instruction, take classes, and that's true in anything. Understand the dynamics of how the bike moves before you do anything. Learn what learn how to operate the machine. So. Take classes. Take classes. And practice. And then, there, you know, you learn certain things. Uh, you learn to look through the curve. That's right. 
If, That's why if, I saw the if, stop sign way up there. Yeah. And <laughs> like, you did, and you were in a situation you couldn't avoid. Because yeah. you couldn't I, go blasting I, through once, the intersection. Right, right. Might be a car coming. Right. So um, I do remember in rider school, which you have to do before they allow you to race, mm-hmm. is the instructor telling us, when you get to the point in a curve, when you need to turn, turn. That's all you need. That's what you need to do. A lot of people, I hear it a lot. I was going too fast for the turn. So I hit the brake. So I had to lay it down. Or lay it down. Or I had to stand it up and run off the road. Mm-hmm. Well, when you decide to run off the road, you're committed to crashing. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. Or when you lay it, I got to lay it down, you've committed to crashing. Might as well try and turn. Right. At least give it a shot. Yeah. yeah. If your handlebars are not already dragging the ground, you haven't leaned the bike over as far as it will go. Unless you have my Harley and it's hitting the pipes. <laughs> well, or and the center else, of it yeah. is, is standing up. Yeah. But yeah. I was on the BMW and so I knew it It could make the turn. It could. I mean, it, that thing could get as low as you can get it to go. I had good tires on it. It just can't make the turn and then go through a stop sign. Right. Well, you just got caught in an unfortunate circumstance. I mean, I mean, speed is the other thing too. Like in any vehicle. Well, true. Yeah. True. I'm I'm not going to go on back roads in the evening, in areas I have no idea, with anything other than a putt putt sort of mentality in my head. That's what I learned there. There's no reason to. There's no reason true, to. True. Why Why did I do that? I mean, because I'm a competitive guy, and I kind of like. Let, let, let me feel a little bit of the edge as I move. And and that's the wrong time to feel the edge. Yeah. Let's don't feel the edge on the bike. So let, well, let, no, let's feel it on the bike. <laughs> let's don't feel it at night I mean, on back roads in a town after you washed I mean, it, that, that you don't know. That's the, let, let, let's just do the risk reward formula next time is all I'm asking. That's he just said a big business nugget truth. I want to, I want to highlight by the way, if you're going too fast, turn, if you're going too fast and you're about to reach a collision point or reach a, a point of crisis, turn, Travis. In any situation, there is a correct maneuver. And there's a bunch of wrong maneuvers, but there's at least one correct maneuver. Sometimes and, on and a motorcycle. you do that, the better. I think this is the show. I think it's using the motorcycle as a, you know, as a, 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 a expression I mean, what, of business. What, what I got out of it is you're committed to wrecking anyway. Why not try not to wreck? Why, why, why not go ahead and radically try not to wreck? Cause your default is I'm going to wreck. Right. Well, no, that's not your default. I don't default wrecking. Well, no, no, no. It, it, My it, default is I'm going to say me, the bike and everything. No, 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 and I'm no. going to end up at a, <gasps> no, they, oh, okay. Well, no, I what, made that one. No, no. What, what, what he's saying is based on where I'm at. If I keep going, I'm going to wreck. So that's what I mean by the default. Well, if you don't keep wreck. turning, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so I might as well kind of radically turn. Let's keep going. Because right now we've left you off in the Tim story. You're a physician's assistant. I, I gotta I, I gotta get you Well, we need to we need to get right on into I, I, I the gotta, decision point of, of, of leaving that. So that's fif- what we need to get fif- straight 15 to. Fifteen years in, at what point did you start thinking about this? Well, I happened to have finished an assignment uh when with one employer and I thought, well, I want to take a break from medicine. For a while because it's obvious it just wasn't fulfilling me so what else do i know anything about well i know a lot about motorcycles because i'm i road race so okay well how do i get into the motorcycle industry i have, have no idea well maybe i should go get a job at a motorcycle dealership sounded like a good idea makes sense so i went to the local motorcycle dealership and told them i'd like to work there 
And they said, <laughs> well, what can you do? Well, I, you know, I guess I can sell bikes or I can work on bikes. I'd been working on my own bikes all the time. Um, I know about parts and stuff because I buy parts for my race bike. And they said, well, don't really know what to do with you. So you pick. And I said, well, how about sales? That sounds like the right thing. Yeah. Sound like the, the PA like, goes yeah. sales and motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> I did well, I, you know, I didn't want to be a mechanic, uh, full-time parts. That's a lot of numbers and stuff. So you like to talk about this stuff. Right? Yeah. 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 Let's yeah. I want to talk about motorcycles and I think I can sell motorcycles. And it's funny. They, they, the, so they hired me. Um, and the first thing they do is they, they make you watch all these videos about how to close the deal. <laughs> I you, like know, that. you know, sell motor, you got to do this. There's so, all these so, steps. So this was a bigger place. This oh, was, was a this big, was not big, a mom and pop. Then. No, There's, they had yeah. several uh, dealerships around in, uh, yeah, yeah. in Atlanta. Um, and so I spend like four days watching all these videos, learning how to close the deal. <laughs> and then they finally put me on the floor. And the first guy that walks in is this, this man walks in. He says, I want that bike and that bike. He hands me his American Express card <laughs> and says, and I'll be over in the parts department. Uh, let me know when they're ready. He was wow. buying two dirt bikes for his sons. Okay. So uh, apparently I had closed the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's off so, to a good start here. So I go to the general manager's office. That's where you have to go once you're, you've got the, the, <laughs> right. the guy on the hook, you know. Yeah. And I said, uh, I got this guy. He's going to buy these two bikes. He says, okay, you remember what's what you're supposed to do now you got to go out there and close the deal i said here's no. the card he's already giving me his american express card and the manager just looked at me and you know of course gave me a good an attaboy and i thought that was easy you know i can do this i can sell motorcycles <laughs> <laughs> so but i you know i had to go a little deeper i ended up working there about three months and Every day, people would come in looking for used motorcycles. Where's your used bikes? Well, mm. we don't have any. We sell new bikes. Okay. And they'd walk out. So it, it was about three. The light bulb moment was about three months in. That's what I'm going to do is I'm going to sell motorcycles. That's, I, I'm going to buy bikes, basically flip, flip bikes. Flip bikes, yeah. But I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to buy the highest quality bikes I can find. I'm going to service them, uh, make sure they're they're safe, um, and sell them at a fair price. Treat my customers like patients because that was m my interaction with people was mostly in the medical field. So um, treat you know treat them like I with the same kind of respect that I would a, a, a patient. And that is the beginning of value cycle. So, 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 so this, this is circa arc. 94, 95, 96, uh, 98, 98. Yeah. 98. Okay. Okay. So. Flipping bikes. Where, where, and, now, where, where are you buying these bikes by the way? Well, the internet was just coming online, you yep. know, beginning to the commerce part of the internet. Um, and so I could search for bikes, uh, online and go and buy them. And at first, they the Craigslist, first, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it might have been before Craigslist, but yes, uh, just uh, wherever they, they were out there in '98. Were they? Okay. Oh yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Um, so I would, and at first I was just doing it out of my garage at home. I'd buy a bike. I would I'd detail it myself, service it myself, uh, put it back online, and sell it for more than I paid for it. I mean, hmm. that's that's 
the basic idea. This right? is this is why you're still a PA. Uh, no, I was between jobs. I remember okay, I had, okay, so you yeah, le- okay, I got I you. Had, so you, uh, you you left the PA to go sell motorcycles as your full time deal, right? Then you started flipping the bikes. Okay, right. I had just so, finished an assignment so, and I I was not sure what my next PA job was going to be. So I thought I, I was, was going to do something just to explore a little while. I, I thought it would be about four months. I thought three or four months break from medicine okay. would be good <laughs> for me. But at some point, you decided to go kind of all in. And you yes. and you you opened up a shop. Well, after I had, you know, I bought bikes and sold them, and I had three or four bikes in my garage, I said, well, I need to rent a space because uh, I need more bikes and I need more room. So I rented a, a little warehouse, and that would hold about 15 or 20 bikes. And... And it was just me. I was open two days a week, Tuesday and Thursday, and on and Saturdays, uh, mostly by appointment. I would sell bikes on by appointment. People would contact me through the internet, and we'd, they'd make an appointment to come see the bike. They'd come see it, and they would usually buy it. How much were you making per bike? Uh, you you aim for a thousand dollars. How many bikes a month at that point were you selling? Uh, probably eight to ten. Okay. And uh, this is a this is a point I want to make here is that um, I think this is important for small business people that you first went into it soft. You just you know no oh, yeah. over, no overhead. Yeah. Let me get out there and see what I can do. Let me learn a little bit about it. Let me flip one or two. Let me see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Hey, I like the I like this. This is fun. I I feel like I know what I'm doing. It's working. You build it up. Did you did you create any financial margin prior to? Did you have financial margin in your life prior to doing the motorcycle flipping? Because it sounds like to me like you weren't going. Huh, I, I gotta go get a job. I got. I gotta go figure out how to make money right here tomorrow. You had a little bit of margin yes. there. Yeah, I, I had savings, and I was using my own money to buy buy the bikes. And I, as I, I figured, I needed to expand this program. So I, that time, I went to the bank and uh, offered them collateral, my savings, to open up what's called a floor plan, so you can use the bank's money to mm-hmm. to, to buy the bikes, um, secured by the money you have on deposit, to some exactly. degree, and exactly. the mo- and the motorcycles you're buying. Exactly both. Yeah. So one one interesting thing was the uh, the bank manager uh, said, "Okay, you know everything looks good, uh, but I need a business plan. Uh, I want a formal business plan." And I'd never done one of those before. So I went home and I figured out, read some stuff. How do how do you do a business plan? So I did a formal business plan, and um, go back to the bank and I hand it to the man the bank manager guy and he just looks at the front page and sets it on his desk and says okay great you got the loan <laughs> yeah, you probably produce something better than 95 percent of anybody that walks through the door right. well he didn't even look at it I, I said well why didn't you read it he said tim that wasn't for me that was for you oh. yeah that and, was a, and that and, was an exercise and you did it too so there was another it's a good yeah. light bulb moment yeah. for me. Oh, okay. Because I, I learned a lot with I the bet business you did. plan. Yeah. I, I considered things that I had never considered. My overhead and where am I going to get bikes and where are my customers going to come from? How am I going to market them? That business plan was an exercise in in learning that Absolutely. Stuff. As soon as you're starting to borrow money, as soon as you're taking on monthly expenses, 
it's different than being in your house flipping motorcycles. Oh yeah. You're starting a business. You yeah. got you, you gotta figure out how this is gonna continue. You can't sure. just decide I'm stopping. Yeah. Because you got I signed a lease, a yeah. one year lease on a building. Right. I gotta do it at least for a year. Right. How much was your lease back then? Five hundred dollars a month. Well, that's cheap. It's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Is that in the building you're in today? Oh no, no. That's that, a different yeah, building. That was just a little, I think sixteen hundred, not even that big, thousand square foot um metal warehouse almost okay so you leased that for how long in that spot one year and then outgrew that and so at that point you're not you're, you're not being a pa anymore this is what you're gonna oh do. yeah I'm, yeah I have this not, is what you're gonna yeah. do oh yeah, you, yeah a fire no. was lit under something that you're passionate about yeah i loved it and of course i was also racing so that tied, tied I, had in. A, I had a place to keep my race bikes i had all my tools there a place to work on my bikes um, you so also I, were a, an authentic expert in the, what you're selling too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you were you were you were not stuff. just selling cars or bikes to make a living. You you actually eat and lived and breathe them too. And it's yeah. your hobby too. Know how to ride them. Know how to fix them. Yeah. Uh, know a good bike from a bad bike. So yeah, I, I, had I think that's things. important when you. When, I mean, when you when a small business guy starts a small business and they're not funded by some outside source and they're, 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 it's a risky deal when they get going to go in something that you don't have a lot of knowledge in or passion in would be a, a tough start. Well, not, to not, not only that, but this is who I want to buy a bike from. Like this yeah. guy races. Bikes. We talked about it today when you were looking for vehicles, Yeah, you ran across a guy that has yeah. specialty vehicles and this guy knows every nut and bolt in these vehicles that he says. I, I called this guy and he actually owned the lot. He picked up the phone and we started talking about cars and it, it was in, in 30 seconds, it's apparent that he loves cars. Yeah. And he knows everything about this particular subset of cars. Yeah. And I was kind of blown away and I thought, man, if I ever buy one of those, I'm driving to Birmingham, Alabama and I'm buying, sure. it, buying it from you. So you being somebody that re- literally puts your life on the line, racing cars, you, it makes sense. There's one thing from guys that are kind of in your world here, as we talk to guys that are electricians or plumbers or, you know, business owners of all versions. Um, did you have any mentor in the world of business or in, or in bikes? Was there, was there a guy that you looked at and you, you got on the phone and said, man, I can't figure this one out. What, what do you think? No, I honestly there wasn't. There wasn't. That's unique. Yeah, and there fact, wasn't a guy at that first dealership that 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 sort of you looked up to. Well, I looked up to my the, the owner because he owned a, a dealership, but he came to me one time, actually, and said, "Tim, you know you're doing a great job." He said, "We're selling tons of bikes. I'm selling all these bikes, but I'm I'm not making any money." <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm making like 3% return on my investment. Good timing, Joe. Good timing. There you go. And he says, according to this this uh, management series of tapes, I'm supposed <laughs> to make right. 7% yeah. return on my I, I'm, I'm reading the manual, and I'm not. Um, it doesn't look like I'm doing yeah. it. Yeah. So I said, well, you've got your uh, incentives structured wrong. You're, the salesman, the, the program was... Uh, you got a base salary, but you had to sell five bikes a week to get that base salary. A the, week? Jeez. Yeah. One a day. You got to sell a bike, you know, on a five-day week. Um, and they didn't really tell you what happens if you don't sell 
five bikes a week. You know, what happens, of course, you don't be, be a salesman very long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, there, was, there was no incentive to keep the price of the bike up. All you wanted to do was sell five bikes. Right. So you wanted the price as low as possible. Right. And we didn't have, a uh, salesman doesn't have the authority to accept an offer. You get the, uh, you make the little deal and then you take it to the manager and the manager approves it or not. So kind of like a car lot. So we, what works like so, a car lot. Yeah. Yeah. So we going to, we're going to the manager trying to get the price of the bike down Absolutely. so that this guy will buy it so that we can make our quota. And I, I told the manager that. You were incentivized by numbers, not by the profits. Right. So he said, well, what should we do about this? I said, well, how about if you offered a $100 bonus if, you get full re- if the salesperson gets full retail for the bike or the uh, ATV or jet skis? And he said, well, that's a good plan. Let's try that. And so first thing I did was call one of my customers that had uh, – uh, we were, had, were in negotiation and on a, a unit, and I told him that there had been a little problem. The price was full retail. I could not give them the discount that we were hoping for. Well, they bought the unit. They were perfectly fine with that. They, they wanted it. And so I went back to the manager and said, here, we've, I gotta, we, got, we need to rewrite this deal. It's now a full retail deal. He said, how would you do that? I said, I simply called the customer and was very nice and explained to them what had happened. (laughs) And they still, and they bought the unit. You know, I didn't, I don't feel like I took advantage of anybody. It was, you know, that, that was the incentive that my job was to sell bikes. And now my job is to help my manager make money or the owner make money. Mm -hmm. My job, what my job is. Yeah. Do you do your job? So that was an important uh, lesson for me, but no, I mean to answer your question, no, not really. I, I, there wasn't a mentor, but so 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 in effect, though your experience, your short time at that uh, lot or, or or that that dealership acted as a mentor. You sort of got well, to learn right. from what was happening in in real time there. Right, right, yeah. And that was the purpose for getting the job That's was right. to just observe the industry and see what niche needed being taken care of what was the most difficult decision in your in value cycles history that you had to make and why probably buying my real estate buying the uh, the real estate building the building um which actually i mean that that didn't turn out uh, at least at first particularly well because i i bought the building in uh, we, well, we grew and grew and grew. I moved from the small, the, the first warehouse to a bigger warehouse to a larger warehouse. Uh, we'll get straight had, to what, why it was difficult to buy the building. Well, it's cause that's a huge, that's a long-term commitment. And, and did you just, rent there first or did you buy it and move in? I bought it and moved in. What'd you pay for it? Uh, $500,000. That's a big decision. Yeah. Why'd you do it? Well, I had a mentor, not in the motorcycle industry, that told me I needed to buy my own real estate. I ne- you need to own your property. You don't need to rent. Mm. Um, okay. And I, it sounded like good advice. And it was it is great in, advice because when you go to sell, sell a building or sell a business, if you have the property and the business, it's a better package than if you're just trying to sell a, a business. But it, I mean, it can no, be. It can be. There's a lot of... Per- 
parameters in that, obviously. Well, I bet. And well, I'm sure. And y'all yeah. are y'all are the the yeah. real estate experts. So. What, what, what it does for you, for sure. You know, there's a lot of folks that open a restaurant or a, a retail place. I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of are a retail place. People walk in and hand you a bike, say, fix it. You take a fee for it. Well, a, a third party owning that building and telling you, you know what, man, I'm not going to renew your lease. You need to move your entire business. You're exposed. Now, now everybody who's been coming to you, exactly, you got to communicate. I'm not here anymore. Exactly. Right? And that's about and that's about negotiation of your lease. I mean, I think I think whether you buy or rent, there's a lot of parameters in that. I think that um, it's about terms for sure. It is. I mean, it, it's it, it's it's it's. Uh, it's a complex decision, I think. Right. So, so you uh, you borrowed a percentage of that money to buy the building, I assume. Uh, yeah. I yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had to put uh, some cash down. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a nugget. Bought the building. I'm gonna give a nugget here about real estate, purchasing real estate in your business. This is this is the nugget. I think this is how I've never gotten hurt on this, and I feel like good decisions are made. The decision needs to be made as two separate decisions. You have the business that I'm, that I need the real estate for has to determine what its value in monthly cost is necessary to run this business. And, and how long do I want to tie up that piece of real estate, whether it be rent or purchase for my business and why, and how long this would work. I think that's one decision. I think that, I think that the decision to purchase it is, to me, a separate decision that's an investor decision. I'm buying this building in, in this LLC, and does it make sense for me to buy this based on the rent that I could get from my other LLC? It needs to be an arm's length transaction to, of sorts. It's got to be an independent. It's got to make sense independently. Yeah. If, if I'm going to make, move it in there. that's right. If I'm, if I'm going to pay $500,000 for a building, and you know whether expenses are involved. What rent amount do I need to make to get an adequate rate of return on my money? And can this business adequately support that and more? And if this business fails, then is this piece of real estate still valuable for the next leasee? That that's how to me a, a purchase of real estate decision has to be made. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you don't make a bad decision. It's like all other real estate. You're leveraging that real estate from the time that you buy it. So, so it's an investment decision separate from your business. In, in, mm-hmm. in owning that Good. building, did you occupy the entire building? Yes. Oh, yes. Did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the building was formerly, well, the building was the, the former building for the dealership that I worked for. No, I. Yes, I bought their building. Oh, wow. Uh, they, had, they had sold their franchises and had retired from the industry. And they actually called me and they said, you know, because now for the last five years, I've really been competing against them yeah, for yeah. bike sales because we're a mile apart. Yeah. So I, I want to fast forward in the story because we got to get to the truth, well, not the story. Well, hey, okay? hey, hey, but before we fast forward, that point right there, your competitor, Mr. Small Business Owner, can be the guy that also retires you by buying your real estate or buying your business. Sure. Right. They could have very well called you and said, "Hey, you just want to buy the franchise." I Man, they didn't do right, that. Right. But something to think about. You know, that competitor that's the thorn in your side might be your retirement ticket. Could be as well. So you bought a, a dealer sized business or a, a building that was a dealer sized building. It was already set up as a motorcycle business. Sure. And and you ran at that size for how many years? 
Uh, so, you know, we've grown. We've got a full service department now, a parts and accessories department. I've had seven employees. Um, and then the timing element, which you guys probably know more than anything about real estate, entered into the factor, into the equation. Yeah, we, what, we hit the great real estate depression here in 06, 07, 08, 09, 010. 2008 came. And, uh, and, and business shrank. Things were unknown. You mean guys weren't buying motorcycles left and right in 2008? It's like they flipped a switch. <laughs> motorcycle uh, sales shrunk. Motor, motorcycle sales, they stopped. They stopped. Uh, in, for lots of reasons. I mean, people were worried about buying groceries, not sure. motorcycles. And you couldn't get credit. I mean, you know, all the, the mm. lenders were going, mm. not on, they weren't just stopping lending. They were going out of business. But the guys that own motorcycles still needed service. But the service department continued to do well. So at that point, time you 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 decided i gotta i've gotta i gotta downsize my overhead mm-hmm. i've got to go where my money is which is service exactly and you and you began to do just service yes. and you didn't need the full building for that i didn't correct and so you ended up leasing part of the building uh, to, sub, to a church subdivided it uh to the the first person that came along that, that could right so i think interested. this was a i think that's a good uh you know, nugget that, you know, you have to adapt exactly based on circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then at some point you decided that I don't need, I, I just need a very small spot. Right. And, I, and you sold the building to that church and now you're leasing back from the church. Well, no, it wasn't the, uh, wasn't the church that bought it. Uh, they're still there. They were my, Oh, oh somebody else bought it. They were my, exactly. They were my tenant I for, for 10 years. I see. Uh, up until two years ago. So they're not before, there anymore. Two, they're still there. The church uh, is still they there. They are. So they're yeah. renting. You're both renting from an investor. Exactly. Point. Investors, a couple of investors two years ago approached me about buying the building from me. They wanted a property that was already leased. And I had a good solid 10-year oh. lease from the, the church. And they, they were staying. I was running my business there. So I was a, a good prospect to sign a lease back agreement. Right. And uh, that's where we are now. Did you get your money back out of the building? Yes. Uh through the rent, particularly the 10 years of rent. The sales price, not so much? Uh, broke even on the sales price. Okay, okay. But when you do the the math, uh, the the rent. The rent's what the real, yeah, what the real investment right. is. Yeah. Right. 10 years so, of rent. And so so you went from a full service motorcycle uh, sales and service shop to now. A micro business. It's a micro business. It's not quite a one-man band. It's you and, and a mechanic. It's a two-man band. It's a two-man band. Uh, when the recession hit and uh, the, but the service department continued to do well, the business plan became, uh, I had to let everybody go other than the one best mechanic. And he and I uh, continued to run the business. So I'm the owner. I have one employee, the mechanic. Uh, and that's what we do now is service motorcycles and ATVs. And uh, and you've electively at some points d- decided that I'm I'm just going to keep it here. Yes. From a uh, what 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 was the well, tell me the main reason why you did and why you could decide to keep it small. Well, because um could maximize the return on. I mean, I've already gotten my investment back. I've sold the building. And now it's a lifestyle, more of a lifestyle decision. I'm getting okay. older, getting close to retirement. Um, 
that and that was part of the decision to sell the building right uh it didn't want to be holding the real Strapped. estate because yeah. um, who know in 2018 who knew what the future might hold right and you wanted to decide i mean when you don't own the real estate i mean here's the truth you get flexibility right exactly you can say hey i'm done I was on the other end of that. Lease curve. is over. I'm ready. Right. I'm ready to move so, on. So, right. so, so approaching, you know, retirement, your decisions have to be more known. You, you exactly. That there's fewer risks that can be taken as right. you get older. You don't want to be as far out on the limb. So, be as transparent as you can about this question, because um, this is something that's a recurring theme on our on our broadcast that we we investigate, and I like to hear from guys. But how much? as you think about the decisions you made from say, you know, PA to the, the, the flipping to motorcycles to the bigger business, to the smaller business, how much has your financial margin, the decisions about how you allocated funds over the years, how impactful has that been in, in allowing you to make the decisions that you you needed to make or wanted to make in those transitions. Well, do you think it was a, a big part of that that you had some margin to be able to make the right decisions? I learned from my father that you mean from just financial. Are you talking about financial stability? You you've got to have financial stability in your life no matter what i mean that's that's important well was that who your dad was was he a kind of by the numbers type guy yeah i mean he was a pilot there's you know there's the right way and the wrong way and the wrong way gets you hurt and the right way doesn't what i mean by margin for the and save money his you know he was really big on saving money so rainy day fund yeah i mean if we go to the simplest basic version of margin i think uh uh, Dave Ramsey talks about it a lot, but it, you know, it's, it's guys that are, you know, it's not in debt, uh, at least on any consumer debt. You might have real estate debt. It's, it's living inside of your means with margin. If I'm, if I've got $5,000 a month in net revenue after taxes, mm-hmm. I live on 3,500 or 4,000 and I'm, I'm, I'm setting aside. It may be in mutual funds. It may be reinvesting. It may be in different places, but at some point over decades of doing that, you're okay if three or four or five or six or eight months go by and things didn't go quite like you planned. And so your decision points open up because of your financial margin. Decision, opportunities and decision points close when people are going, oh crap, I need to figure out how to sell three motorcycles next week or I'm done for right. I'm done for, you know? And so if you look at the reason why big corporate, huge private equity groups own so much business today, because they got more margin than anybody else. They can go with years. That's right. Not making right. money to wait for the years where they make real money. That's right. And so the more margin you have, the, the, the longer you can sustain, the better decisions you make. That, that's sort of a thing. Okay. And I was just curious how that, Okay. Well, and so I want to, I want to call the margin cushion. Can I, can yeah, I define sure. okay. Same thing. Right. Yep. Then I, then I understand better. Uh, and yeah, that to me, that was, that's a given. That was just ingrained uh, again by my parents. Um, and, and have always maintained that. Um, you know, when the, the recession came along, we had a, a big floor plan. We had, uh, I had $350,000 in bikes 
financed. That wasn't my money on the floor, and on you the, can't get those. Floor. And you can't get those bikes back. No, no. Well, they'll take them back <laughs> if you don't pay. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, as far yeah. as yeah, as far as you know, when, when Suzuki stop, sends you a bike, you've bought the bike, right? Well, remember, I'm used bikes. I'm not. Oh, you're buying. That's right. You're buying. Yeah. You're buying bikes. Oh, so you definitely own I'm the bikes. Yeah, I'm yeah. still used bikes. You that definitely own the bikes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that money's out the door. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and bike sales stopped. So, um, you know, at that point, you just make the decision. Okay, when I sell a bike, I'm not going to reinvest that money back into another bike. Mm-hmm. That money goes to pay uh, down the debt, and you know, to do, pay down three hundred fifty thousand dollars in chewed debt through it. Yeah, over took a couple of years, uh, mm-hmm. but did that and so you know your your cushion comes and goes but you got to have some cushion so so one of the things that uh, as joe and i merged businesses here that i thought was kind of cool versus me doing it myself was joe's philosophy on taking money out of the business was a little different than mine my Mm -hmm. my idea was if there's any money in the bank account let's go ahead and take it out okay because i got Mm -hmm. uses for it Joe's version of that was you don't know how much money you have until you've kind of got all the way through year end here because you might have a great June. You might have a horrible October. Mm-hmm. So how do you know to take money out in June? I mean, and I'll just you know humbly say that that was a pr- pretty good lesson, even late in life after running businesses my whole life. So what, what's your philosophy on that? I mean, if this month, if you just killed it, I mean, is it a sort of thing where you just look at the operating account and that's your money? Or, or how, how do you budget in ongoing with your business? Um, there's, there's a, I have a set cushion that I keep. Okay. And the rest comes out. I got you. Yeah. So there's a minimum. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because, again, and being a, a small, very, um, what I call a micro business now, it's, it's certainly much easier to manage uh, those, those costs. Being service only is very low overhead. We're selling right. time. You're not buying stuff. We're not. That's yeah, a good we're point. not. That's we're not right. investing money in a product that you then have to invest more money in, and then have people. And you're also not investing in a growth model, where I, I, I get to this sales, I hire another mechanic. I get I hire another mechanic. Hire another mechanic. I need more space now, and that requires more and more holding of money to invest. I mean it. it, it I mean, you know what the cushion you need, and you leave it there, and the rest comes out. And uh, I mean, and, the growth model is constant risk, frankly. To, to get to the next strata, yeah. you're sort of risking. You're hiring the guy maybe before you're at capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in your business, before we get to that, I love that, by the way. I need, I need one last question that well, puts him on the spot. This is the question I like to ask because this is the Go only ahead. thing that a seven-year college degree earned me. Now, you went to school for six years, and you got a graduate degree. I got a bachelor's degree in seven. Um, so here's my nugget out of seven years of an incredibly prestigious university. Joe, do you know where I went, do you know where I went to school, by the way? I do. I, I think there's. Can, can we plug them? I think there's value there. It's tremendous value there. Go ahead. So Clayton, at the time, it was called Clayton College and State University. It's Clayton mm-hmm. State. They went back to Clayton State, right? I'm familiar. All right. So my favorite class it was a business strategy class, and I remember the professor introduced me to a term called the SWOT analysis, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty cool. Pretty cool term because it's easy to remember. Are you familiar with SWOT analysis? Not. Tell me. Right there, it makes me feel like your Emory education <laughs> and my, my Clayton. I feel like we're yeah, closing so, in. Closing in. Um, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. 
to my business. Beautiful. What would you say is your biggest strength of value cycle? There's two things you need to be to be successful. The first is you need to be competent at what you do. And the second is you need to be honest. Mm. If you're competent and you're honest, you will be successful. Um, I like that. Another little saying that uh, a friend of mine told me was, plan your work and work your plan. Mm. Another nugget, which is a little more specific uh, with dealing with customers, is to mat your... Uh, at, at, if you're on the front line of your office uh, or your business, you're dealing with the customer, manage your customer's expectations. It's mm, huge. We talk about that a lot. That, that's that a is, that's the biggest one. Yep. You know, if, if they expect their repair bill to be $500 and it is $400, they'll be very happy. If it's, uh, you tell them that it's going to be, they, if they expect it to be $500 and it's $700, they won't be as happy. So you need to manage. That's one way you can manage their expectations. Even if that seven hundred dollars, would you was you saving them two hundred dollars? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't you matter. said five hundred dollars. Exactly. That's you know. That's right. That's what they hear. Um, and and I'll say one other thing. My good friend Randy Martin, plug for Randy. He observed. He's a bit, an independent businessman, and he realized. He told me. He taught me that there are several different types of entrepreneurs. There are the entrepreneurs that are there just for the money. Um, but he recognized me as a uh, lifestyle entrepreneur. He, he said, Tim, you run the business. Don't let the business run you. So I've always tried to, uh, to do that. And that makes the job enjoyable. That makes right. the ownership jo yep. enjoyable. Yep. I love going to work, you know, uh, it's fulfills me. So run your business. Don't let your business run you. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, segue on that one. Cause I think this is important. I hate that we waited to the end of the show to get to it, but cause I think this is the, this is getting to the real truth here is I think that, that we all put in front of us. Um, I, I think you've sort of suggested to some degree and, and we all do it as parents that we, we put these things in our kids because we're trying to push them to do something probably greater than we did is probably where it comes from. We don't know. You know, the reality is, is how they take it can be very different than what we expect. But, um, you know, one of the nuggets I wrote down here was that if you don't really know where you're going, you might end somewhere, you might end up somewhere by default. In your case, you did, you kind of ended up in this medical field and, you didn't really have a passion towards anything at that point. And so you, by default, Absolutely. you ended up somewhere. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was, it was not where you mm -hmm. probably wanted to be or, you know, and, and, and clearly when something else came across that you were excited about, you, you, you worked your, your way out of that. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, I think that one of the big truths that we try to express is not everybody's meant to be a millionaire, you know, early in life. Not everybody's meant to, grow some huge business what we need to do is be honest about who we are and what what gets us up in the morning and what what calms us and what makes us a better person and it's not money always it's not growing big okay. we can utilize our small business to achieve 
lots of different things. Well, that's the lifestyle entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Absolutely. You're not in it necessarily. You may or may not be in it just for the money. Right. You may be in it because there's a certain lifestyle you want. You want to love your job. You want to sort of make your own hours and, and you're not trying to be a millionaire. You have ultimate ability to, to make that however you want it. Yeah. Because you own it. Yeah. You're in charge of it. Yeah. Little side note. I I know a guy being in the real estate, but he's a carpet cleaner. (laughs) He's like, Hey, my, my passion is not carpet cleaning. My passion is fishing. Right. Guess what? Cleaning about four or five houses a day allows me to do about three other days a week. Yeah. I'm on the lake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly. kind of the way. So yeah. let's, let's keep going with SWAT. SWAT's not over. Okay, str- okay. We all like to talk about our strengths and small. Mm-hmm. Weakness is the next thing. Mm-hmm. So if we were to bring in a thousand business consultants and they just followed you around for a year, what's your weakness in your business? I uh, have not thought about that. You might have to get back to me on. I that can one. give you a give, couple. Go, give me a, let, let me give you a couple choices. of thoughts. A couple outsider thoughts. All right. What happens if you get sick tomorrow for a month? What happens to your business? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a weakness of a small business. Small business, right? Mm-hmm. The one man band kind of, mm-hmm. or the two man band. Uh, you I don't want to be a one man band. band. All right. How did <laughs> hey Joe? How, how did I sound there? That's good. Thank you. All right, so let's just say yeah. any super small business. I mean, that's not just you. That's any version of a one or two guys. And, and I want to point that out from this standpoint. You, you, you can't ignore that risk. A guy in your space, where you are, you probably are, will be okay. But for the guy who's running the similar business that you have at 32, the risk is, is you or your mechanic get COVID and get knocked out. It's a potentially a major impact. And, uh, and, and, and that's a risk that you're willing to take, but it is a risk. It's a risk. It is a risk. And, but maybe the reason I seem less concerned about it is, I mean, if in a micro business, if you get sick, who cares about the, at that point you can't, you have to care about yourself more than the business. If the business fails, well, I mean, you, hopefully you've got your help. So Sure, but I mean the mortgage payments keep coming, bills keep coming. If wife's not working, I mean, you know, there's a lot of parameters right, around that. Right, like, you know, you, you, it could go upside down quick. Maybe you got five kids. I mean, so so right. what's what, what's an interesting kind of counter to that? As I you know, being again in real estate and working with a million contractors who are honestly, it's just them and their business. A lot of these guys, like I know one guy, he rekeys house. He's a locksmith. Mm-hmm. It's him. He go. I mean, he's been doing it thirty years. He sends an email when he goes on vacation and he's not scared to send me the email that says, Hey, for the next week, I'm going to be in Panama city. I'm not rekeying house, but you can call my buddy Joe <laughs> and he'll rekey your house. While I'm like, they literally kind of form a sort of a union almost that takes over there. It was crazy. I mean, these guys figure out a way to go on vacation and do stuff, but that's the challenge of the, the uh, lifestyle deal or, mm-hmm. or the super small guy. And I think that we're not going to really get to your opportunities and threats. No, 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 no. If I was to buy your business tomorrow, mm-hmm. which I may do because frankly, being in business with Joe is not all it's cracked <laughs> up to be. If I was to buy, <laughs> if I was to buy your bit, what is my biggest opportunity? If I wanted to just go crazy and, and bust loose in your business, uh, that's that's an easy one because okay. there's a model already for the business. It would be to ramp it back up to what it was before. Sell bikes. Exactly. Sell bikes. Well, I mean, I think the first step is a second mechanic, a third mechanic. 
You're hiding. Well, you're, well, that, you're, you're, you're three months behind on some, some repairs. We are. You're, so you just need a second mechanic or a, or, or a mechanic's right-hand man. Well, that sounds well, easy, you're right? right. You, I mean, that's, a more, that's the next, <laughs> that's the next that's step. That's the next step. Yeah. And then and sell yeah, some the, the next I mean, step going, after that is to I mean, you could have adopt the old five program. mechanics and never have to sell bikes mm-hmm. and be making plenty of money. Yeah. But then my lifestyle changes. It does. Now I'm, I'm managing five you're, people. You're a business manager now. But you're only yeah. managing the differences in doing that versus going to sales. You're only managing one business still. You're not right. in the service business and the sales business. You're still right. in one business. True. So okay. All right. We'll, we'll instead of SWAT, we'll, we'll just end with SWO. It's just SWO. Here's what I'm gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna do a couple things to find out because we're a little running a little long here. But we're gonna, we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna go over a few nuggets I pulled from the show. In quick order here, um, if you don't know where you're going, you will end up somewhere by default. Okay. So maybe put a little intention into, into what, what you enjoy and what you're about so you can direct maybe at an early stage where you want to go. Um, if I like this. If you're going too fast, just turn. <laughs> Quit, don't hit a wall. Right, turn, baby, turn. Make the right maneuver. Maybe it's stop. Maybe it's stop. Maybe it's slow down. Slow down might be a good right. idea. But, yeah. but, but do something. Right. Um. You mentioned being competent and honest is two two things I, I'll throw in there. I love that. I, I had a couple things that were similar. Um, I, I have passion. I think character is a huge part of your success. I think having the character and the trust uh, is a hu- huge part of it. Have passion and expertise. Do something you're passionate about and learn it. Become the expert. Be good at it. Be good at it. If you love it and you're good at it, nothing replaces that. Um. It's easier to, to, to decide what you're going to do with margin. Recurring thing. Absolutely. Plan your work, then work your plan. Can't do it the other way around. Um, and manage your customers' expectations. Mm. So those are the nuggets from the Tim Morris Show here at Value All Cycle. Right. We want to thank you for being here. Thank you, thank Tim. You His guys. shop is uh, in Conyers, off of I-20. What exit? What'd you get off 84 of? Salem Road, uh, 2285 Iris Drive. If you have a bike and you want somebody honest to work on your bike, Tim's the man. Tim's the guy. He works on mine. He works on a couple friends of mine's. And uh, I get my, I'll get my Harley over there this weekend. <laughs> so we can and, and I got to give a uh, shout out to Calvin. He's the Oh, mechanic. Calvin's the man. If you come to Value Cycle, there's two people to deal with the owner of the store who has a huge interest in your happiness and the guy that's actually going to work on your bike, yep. Calvin. He does an excellent job. Uh, been with me 11 years. He's fantastic. And, and Calvin will actually talk to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We're Absolutely. open. We're, yeah, yeah. we're there. Yep. We do something on every uh, show here of late. Uh, we got this book. It's called As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. We open up a random page. We read a paragraph or two. And Why then not? We, and then we just comment on it. We're going to ask you to make the first comment, okay? You got to make the first comment. Stay with this because this is not you normal. You to pay attention. This is not man. normal language. <laughs> is this a test? Oh, these are long paragraphs. In let's fact a test. Let's just go with it. Here we go. And you too, youthful reader, will realize the vision, not the idle wish of your heart. Be it base or beautiful or mixture of both, for you will always gravitate toward the which you secretly most love. Ooh, I like that. Into your hands will be placed the exact results of your own thoughts. You will receive that which you earn, no more, no less. 
Whatever your present environment may be, you will fall, remain, or rise with your thoughts, your vision, your ideal. You will become as small as your controlling desire, as great as your dominant aspiration. Oh, wow. Read, read, read that. You will become as small as your controlling desire, as great as your dominant aspiration. In the beautiful words of Stanton Kirkman Davis, quote, you may be keeping accounts and presently you shall walk out of the door that for so long has seemed to you the barrier of your ideals and shall find yourself before an audience. The pen still behind your ear, the ink stains on your fingers, and then and there shall pour over the torrent of your inspiration. You may be driving sheep and you shall wander to the city, Bucolic and open-mouthed shall wander under the intrepid guidance of the spirit into the studio of the master. It's a long paragraph. And after a time, he shall say, is that it? What does he say? I have nothing more to teach you. (laughs) (laughs) Tim, you got to respond. Tim, what's that mean? Well, it sounds like uh, what they were saying was something I've read before. That goes, "What you sow, so shall you reap." Sounds like we were all. It was saying, "Plan your work and work your plan." To me, I think it's definitely a version of that. I, I think that entire book is a version of that. It is, and I think it. I agree with that. And bucolic means beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, Tim. Very nice. Thank you, Tim. So I was thinking that whatever you think on, you dwell on, you you ponder about, you passionate about is what will will be. As a man thinketh. What you pour in will absolutely come out. I think is what I just read. It's very profound. You want to you want to end it on that, Joe? I think I will. And with that, with that said, I think we can finish with this. It ain't easy, but it's worth it. It ain't easy, but it's worth it. It ain't easy, you're the one with the plan. Yeah. Early to bed now. You thought it was going to be done? Oh, that was it. Early to rise. Go get that worm and never compromise. Takes more than you think, not more than you got. Go get yourself up, son. This is your shot. It ain't easy, but it's worth it. Small business is worth it, guys. It ain't easy. But it's worth it It ain't easy You're the one with the plan Yeah! It is sponsored by Yes, I rent Yes, I rent Yes, I rent Property management We place good tenants We collect your rent Maintain your properties And account for it Thank you for being here on the big truce of small business. Till next time.